All right, we are in part four of a series called Faith Foundations. Yes, we are reinspecting the foundations that God has placed under our lives and uh, under our church to build on. And um, I believe one of the reasons why we're looking at them is to recognize that what He has put under us is not going to fail. Um, it's not going to crack. It's not going to mar. It's not going to erode. That He's put us. He's put under us a foundation that is solid. And it is something that we can build on and grow from and draw life from. And today, we're going to be looking at Jesus as friend. Jesus as friend. Because he said that he would no longer call us servants, but he calls us friends. You know, I was walking through the office at our company. Uh, one day a week, I still work at the tech company that uh, I helped build for about 12 years. And recently, I was walking through the office, and I caught one of my coworkers out in the front parking lot talking to a girl who had brought him lunch. And it appeared to me that the way they were talking, there might be something going on more than friends. And so because I have a slightly devious nature, I thought this is an opportunity to tease one of my coworkers that I just couldn't pass up. So I walked around the office and came back just in time as he was coming back in the door with his food. And I said, so... Who was that? And uh, he says, uh, we're just friends. <laughs> How many times have you heard that? Right? Just friends. Just friends. Since when is friendship a just? Right? The language we use betrays the way we prioritize friendship love and romantic love. In our culture, in most individualistic cultures, romantic love is the top. Right? Even in this era when marriage and lifelong commitments are under assault, we've never been more infatuated with romance, with who's dating who, who's sleeping with who, who's single and who's not. I mean, even the label single, right? Even the way we talk about ourselves outside the context of a romantic relationship has the connotation of being alone, incomplete, standing by yourself, as if the other relationships we have don't have the same power to shape us or define us that only romantic love does that in our culture. There are no tabloids and scintillating details on who's friends with who, right? How many movies have you seen that don't somehow include a sidebar of romantic love? I, I mean, there are a few, but not many. Um, the, I would say the most, <laughs> the most interesting one for me is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it. It's an incredible tour de force. It's a masterpiece. The whole world and the series of stories are created around friendship to highlight the different aspects of friendship, the value of friendship, the depth of friendship, the seasons of friendship, the strength of friendship. And what did Hollywood do? Right? It's a great movie. I have the the unabridged trilogies. I still love the movies. They took the romance that was Appendix A. I'm serious. Appendix A between King Aragorn and the elven princess Arwen, and they moved it into the centerpiece of the plot line throughout all three 
movies. Now, Tolkien wrote a number of origin tales to explain the history of different peoples and characters, but that romance was an appendix. Even the marketing posters for the Fellowship of the Ring has King Aragorn, right? The conflicted warrior with Princess Arwen in the back. Will they end up together? Right? It's the soap opera picture. It's the friendship of the ring. It, it, it's because in our culture, romance, the romantic love is at the top. Right? Even other cultures, though, that are more communal, not every culture is as individualistic as ours. Other more communal cultures tend to prioritize family love above romantic love or friendship. So family honor, family name, family loyalty, family belonging is everything. In, in these cultures, marriages oftentimes are more about alliances between families than what they might consider a love marriage. And when we, we hear that, we're like, <gasps> that's scary. But it just shows, I mean, they, they have a depth or a priority, an elevation of family love. But there is no culture in the world that has friendship love at the top. And so we don't really have, I believe, a very developed understanding of what friendship is. But in the kingdom of God, friendship is at the top. Now that might sound jarring, but I believe that we can draw some, um, some revelation from the life of Jesus and what Jesus talked about and why that's really um, something that we can draw from and learn from. Only in the kingdom is friendship at the top. And I think many of us really are uncomfortable with our promotion to friend of Jesus. Um, I think sometimes it's easier to identify as a lost soul or as the bride or somebody whom Jesus rescues or maybe a soldier that follows his orders or maybe a servant that is given an assignment. But because we are blurry with our concept of friendship, because really that's what we see and what we know, what we've become acclimated to in our culture, we tend to see friendship with Jesus as either impractical, improper, or just simply impossible. Um, for some of us, it's impractical, right? There's nothing about our spiritual life that resembles a friendship, so it's not really a plausible experience to be friends with Jesus. For some, it's improper. Like, it feels irreverent or almost scandalous to talk so informally about God. Or for others, it's impossible because we have such a low opinion of ourselves, we're just, we're just happy to be on the bus going to heaven, right? We're, we're just the little lost soul in the corner of the bus. You know, I'm just happy to be going through the pearly gates, right? It's impossible. It can be, but really, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to be arrested, the night he washed his disciples' feet, and shared a last meal with them, friendship, friendship was on Jesus' mind. John, who was arguably Jesus' closest friend, he was considered the disciple whom Jesus loved. What that means is they, they had this close bond 
that was beyond maybe what many others had experienced. And John, in his gospel, spent a quarter of, the, of his whole tale, his whole story, his whole narrative, five chapters, five of the 21 chapters, on one conversation that happened on that day around the table in the upper room when Jesus was talking about friendship. John 15, I know it's a little small, but I had to get it on one slide. So you can get out your Bibles. This is a scripture for today. John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. This is Jesus talking to his friends, his disciples, the ones he had traveled with. He had poured his life into. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So is this passage, is this exhortation, is Jesus' plea about following commands loving one another, or being friends? Yes. When we draw the word commands out, it's easy to develop a long list and to feel the weight of having to do everything that he's said to do. But he defines actually what that command is. It is to love one another and he explains what that love looks like in this moment. It is, to be, it is to move out of a master-servant relationship and into a friend relationship. He is inviting us. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. And so the simplest definition I can give you of the true friend, Jesus, is a true friend always lets you in and never lets you down. A true friend always lets you in. He is, or she is, unguarded. Always lets you in, always invites you in to see the joy, the pain, the sacrifice and the rejoicing, the work and the play always lets you in, always lets you in, never lets you down, never isn't there, never doesn't show up. 
never isn't ready. This is the true friendship of Jesus. You see it here. Always lets you in. In the love that he has had with the Father, he's inviting us into it. Always lets you in. No longer do I call you servants. For servants don't know what the master is in doing, but I call you friends for everything I've learned, everything I've heard, everything I've shared with the Father, I'm inviting to you. I am, I am translating to you. I'm inviting you into. Always lets you in. Never lets you down. He never lets you down. Ne greater love is no one than this, that he would, than someone would lay down his life and that word life is not just physical life. It's laying down his reputation, laying down his rights, laying down what he's owed, laying down his rightful place. A true friend always is willing to lay that down for the sake of others. Oh, never lets you down. He sees it at the end so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Always interceding on our behalf, always there to be relied upon always lets you in, never lets you down. A true friend always lets you in and never lets you down. You know, even when Jesus came back in um, John chapter 21 and he has this kind of familiar exchange with Simon Peter, who is also at that table, um, and he says, you know, he, the familiar is, is he asks Simon, Simon, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you, then feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? He asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, I do, then feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Um, the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. I don't want to ex expand everything in this passage, but just pull out one, one thing that's relevant to friendship. I want to say that Peter wasn't hurt just because Jesus asked him something three times. He was hurt because of what Jesus asked him the third time. The first two times he asked, do you agapeo me? Do you love me sacrificially? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me without any thought for yourself? Do you love me? But the third time Jesus asked, do you phileo me? Do you take joy in me? Do you consider me a true friend? Do you relate to me? Do you find your joy in me? And he's illustrating in this moment that if you can't do this as a have to, but you can do this as a want to. It's an invitation away from love as purely an act of will, of sacrifice, of duty, and into a friendship where love grows like fruit. Because friendship love, phileo love, is completely elective, yet totally invested. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. He and the Father and the Holy Spirit are a friendship, totally elective, but totally invested. They enjoy their fellowship three in one, and they are inviting, just as our relationship is, they are inviting us into the kingdom of God to share in that friendship. They're inviting us not into a have to, but into a want to. And so what are the qualities of a true friend? 
You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and saying, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, what did he mean by that? Because I would say we don't take very good cues from our concept of friendship in our culture, right? Because our culture is primarily, I and mean, it's amazing how transient we are. And I'll get into that in a minute. So there are four qualities that I believe we can see from Scripture, and we're going to pull from Proverbs, um, about the qualities of a true friend that Jesus exhibits and that he is inviting us into. Qualities of a true friend. One, oh boy, can't read it. Okay, well, I'm going to get better on my colors. The first one is constancy. This is from Proverbs chapter 17, 17. A true friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A man of many acquaintances may come to ruin, but there is a true friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, family may stick to you in times of trouble, but they don't have to like you, right? Do you have, um, you know, part of your, your privileges as being part of a family is that you always have maybe a home to go back to when you're out of money um, or, you know, a place, uh, somebody to make you chicken soup um, when you're not feeling well. I mean, when the proverb said, a brother is born for adversity, you know you have a place to go. But a true friend sticks closer than a brother because a true friend loves at all times. You know, my father had a friend of 65 years before he passed away. Not my father, but the friend passed away um, about two years ago. They grew up together. They went to high school together. They ranched cattle together in Elko, Nevada. The friend introduced my dad to my mom. Um, they were best men at each other's weddings. They raised families together. Um, I, uh, they took joy in taking their kids backpacking into the most remote places that was unfit and unclean for children. Um, they, uh, they went, uh, they went, you know, water skiing. Um, we went and rode ATVs. We learned to shoot. We learned all kinds of things. They took joy together. And over the years, they, they would always make it a point. They, they played cards together. And we would go and visit them and not do anything except hang out at the house and talk and fellowship. And I watched this friendship over a long, long period of time. And when my dad's friend got a puncture in his intestine and was laid out for months... My dad didn't really think much of it other than, well, he put his camper on his truck, he drove over to his friend's house, which was two and a half hours away, and he stayed there and helped his wife take care of him for months at a time. And it wasn't out of a have to, it was out of a want to. I mean, many of us, even with our own family members, we get a little tired of the drama, right? We get a little tired of, it's an inconvenience, it becomes a have to, like we know we ought to. But a true friendship, the, the true friendship that Jesus has with you, he's not loving you because he has to. He's loving you because he wants to. He's inviting us in to this want to, this true friendship. And so I watch my dad sacrifice as a want to. And I also watch, you know, after, it wasn't because of that, but later, you know, I watched my you know, his closest friend passed away, and there was an element of my dad that I don't get to see anymore because my, it was that friend that, that brought out 
that side of him. And I want to say, you know, there are, there are elements of all of us that we bring out in one another. There are elements of Jesus that we bring out. The angels, like what Pastor Wyatt was talking about, circling around saying, holy, 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 holy. They're seeing new facets and new perspectives of his glory and his majesty. And we, as we worship him and we grow and we gather and we love one another, we bring out new facets of his glory because it's a want to. You know, we have in this scripture... It says, a person or a man of many acquaintances may come to ruin. In our age, our network of acquaintances continues to grow. We're connected to more different things. We have access through all kinds of online presence and social media to connect to more and more people. We have more and more acquaintances, and it takes more and more of our energy, and we have less and less of that to forge deep friendships. You know, a multi-year study published this year in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships found that it takes, on average, two to three hundred hours of one-on-one personal quality time spent with another person to forge a close friendship. So if you spent two hours a week of one-on-one quality personal time with someone, it would still take two to three years to forge a close relationship. Most of us don't stay in the same job, the same neighborhood, the same church long enough to forge anything that looks like a close friendship like that. And I watch the transience of people today with concern and sorrow because we have ever-growing networks of acquaintances and fewer and fewer true friends. So I want to say that even Jesus spent almost three years with his disciples before he called them his friends. I will pick up the pace now. The last three are shorter. Um, The second one is carefulness. Constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel. Constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel. So carefulness from Proverbs chapter 25 Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one, a so-called friend, who sings songs to a heavy heart. You know, have you ever been going through something really hard and a so-called friend said, well, God never gives us more than we can bear, (laughs) right? That's singing a song to a heavy heart. There's an emotional disconnection, right? It's, that is true scripture, but it, it's the wrong song at the wrong time. A true friend is so emotionally connected to you. They grieve when you grieve. They sing when you sing. They shout when you shout. They remain silent when you're quiet. They, they fellowship with you in that space. And it's not that they don't bring encouragement or correction, but it's not like jarring. It's not like are you serious? It's not condescending and patronizing and it's not so emotionally disconnected that we leave more wounded than we came. But connected with that carefulness is candor. Proverbs chapter 27, verse five and six says, better is an open rebuke than 
hidden love. Wounds from a true friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, a true friend is completely careful and emotionally connected, yet completely candid, completely real. Have you ever found yourself saying or putting off any kind of confrontation because, well, I just love that person. I don't want to disturb them. I don't want to hurt them. You know, I just love that person too much to tell them what's really going on, what's really wrong with them, but, you know, how they're screwing up their life. I just love that person too much. I'm, I'm gossiping to you about it, but I just love that person too much. And what you're really saying is that I love myself too much to deal with it. Right? Candor hurts. It hurts to give and it hurts to receive, but the wound can be trusted. You know, I was, I was having lunch um, with one of my true friends. Um, we're part of a, um, a community group, a life group, um, the seven families, and, you know, we, we connect on a really deep level um, with many, with them, and one of, one of the guys I was having lunch with in San Luis, and because we're both going through these career transitions, and the systems of our lives are changing, and we're fellowshipping about that. We're sharing the excitement we have, the, the fears that we have, we, the, the, you know, what we wonder, what our hopes for the future, and you know, where our kids are at, the trouble our kids are getting in, and it's like we're, we're laughing, and we're crying, and we're, we're, we're sharing at this deep level, and you know, he says, Jeff, there's something that I've wanted to tell you for a, for, for a while. I've been waiting for the opportunity. You know, I love your sense of humor. I love how you make people laugh, but you, you get to a place where it's irreverent. And when it's irreverent, I, I see the look in Michelle's eyes, and she disconnects from you. She's uncomfortable. And I look at your kids, and your oldest son especially, he's taking cues from that, and he's saying inappropriate things. Irreverency is not something that you want to pass on. It is unfit for your season. You can't go there anymore. And I could tell it hurt him to say that. It, was, it hurt to be candid. It hurt to receive. It hurt to receive that. But I was, I was walking with the lunch that we had forgotten to eat after I'm, I'm crying, walking to my car, and I'm thinking, how blessed I am to have received an open rebuke so that I could receive healing from the Lord and hidden love that it would have gone on talking to the other six guys in the group about Jeff's irreverency but no one would ever have told me. No one would have been emotionally connected enough or candid enough to help me see. And the last one is counsel. And I just want to say, it says, Proverbs chapter 27, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a true friend comes from his earnest counsel. And that word earnest counsel we think of as advice, but it's actually heartfelt secrets. When we say, you too, I thought I was the only one. We feel close. We feel known. We stop feeling alone. We discover 
and we begin to forge true friendship. And that word sweetness, the odd thing about that is that in the days when that was written, sugar didn't exist as a refined additive. You couldn't make food sweet artificially. The only sweet foods or sweet perfumes, things that had sweetness were naturally discovered. And it was saying is, is like the sweetness, the rare discoverable treasure of a true friend is their heartfelt secrets because they always let you in. That's where we draw life from. And as we move towards communion, I do want to say it is 1130. If you have other things, I will not be offended if you get up and leave during this time. I, I really won't. But I want to finish this, mo this kind of sacred moment because that's really why at, around the table that Jesus invited his friends to, he invited them to a table of constancy, of carefulness, of candor, and of counsel. That's why I, we keep proclaiming the need and the importance of life groups. It's not because of the teaching. It's not because of the activities. It's not because of the discipline. It's not, it's not because so we can check it off. It's not because it's in vogue. It's not because it's, you know, a... Uh, a cell group model or this model or that model. It's not a growth model. It's, it's about the friends that we discover and the Christ-centered friendships we forge. Because, you know, there's a, a joke that uh, Pastor Mike saw on his trips at this restaurant, and it's a little hard. It says, we don't have Wi-Fi, we talk to each other. <laughs> there's, there's a sentiment around these life groups, and I don't care whether you, whether you hike on Saturdays or whether you have meals on Wednesdays or whether you study, you know, um, faith teachings by Keith Moore or recovery from grief teachings or whatever, or studying a book of Colossians or whatever it is that you're doing, but that we take time, not connected to devices, not, and, and we try to intentionally turn away from the transience of our culture, the endless circle of acquaintances, and we begin to forge deep friendships around Christ because every friendship is about something, but the most beautiful friendships I have are friendships that maybe are come from completely diverse backgrounds and different, different stripes, different colors, different sizes, different, different upbringings, but that Christ is the one who has brought us together at the table. The friendships in our culture are sorted. We're sorted around because we always agree with one another. We already, we, we, it's, it's all about the things that we all already share. And so those friendships tend to go about this deep. But friendships around Christ are so much richer and so much deeper. Ushers, can you come and pass out communion? As Jesus was talking to his friends, Matthew chapter 26. Yeah, I went back to that. 
Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is the true friend who always lets us in, never lets us down. And in this moment of remembrance, when we remember Jesus or bring it back and we do it again, we reckon with the reality that we don't have the true friends we need, partly because we aren't always the true friends we should be. And in the same moment of remembrance, our friendship at this table with Jesus gives us the power to be a true friend like never before.